0: Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour. This is episode 26 and we are joined by special guest Julie Horvath, a design lead at Apple. Today we'll be discussing how designers and front end developers can collaborate together better. Julie, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is?
1: Sure. So again, my name is Julie Horvath. I have been in tech for about seven years now, coming up on eight, I guess. Primarily worked at startups. Um, I was actually a coder before I became a designer, or would call myself a designer. So I wrote CSS back in the IE6 days. Um, oh, very happy to be in the future. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, very happy to be only supporting Safari and Chrome these days. So I lead a design team for an org that builds developer tools for infrastructure engineering at Apple, and we work really closely uh, with the development team, primarily front end. We use React JS, so I'm pretty familiar with with the stack. I'm also I'm also a developer, so I'm a lead designer, but also I ship a lot of PRs, um, and I'm really into large, scalable CSS um, that's maintainable, obviously. So really familiar with that type of technology. Um, looking forward to chatting a bit about it today. So my beverage of choice is Pacifico, beer. I'm from Hayward, California, Oakland. Oakland, Hayward raised. I'm half Mexican, I'm Chicana. So my friends and me grew up drinking Pacifico or Modelo and tequila. And so my happy place is Pacifico and that's usually what I order at a bar regardless of who's judging me. <laughs>
0: <Right on. laughs> and that's what we're drinking today.
1: That is what we're drinking.
0: All right, before we go too deep in the episode, let's go around the table and give brief introduction of today's panelists. Brian, you want to start off? Uh, Yeah, my name is Brian Holt, and my job is to
2: harass designers at Netflix.
3: My name is Stacy London, and I'm a front-end dev at Atlassian.
2: My name is Derek Shars. I'm a senior software engineer at LinkedIn. Jem Young, senior software engineer
4: at Netflix. Augustus Yoon, front-end engineer at Evernote. I'm Ryan Inklum, I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix, and I actually drank way too much Modelo last night, so <laughs> Pacifico is a nice change of place today. <laughs> And I'm Ryan Burgess, I'm a software
0: engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? collaborate yeah. collaborate so if at any point we all say the word collaborate we will all take a drink all right let's get started julie you've explained a little bit about what you do at apple I'd be interested to know, how did you get into design, especially if you started out doing development?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I actually was really broke and in college at USF in the city. What I was thinking, going to a private school without money, and no idea. And so I randomly replied to an ad at a startup for a data entry position. And then when I got there, it was actually a startup called Yammer. It was in their early days when they just moved up from L.A. It was about 12 people. That was my first experience being exposed to the technology industry. My background, you know, I went to some pretty not great uh, public schooling, then they didn't really provide any sort of education around computer science or design or I didn't really know that that was a career option. And so when I got to Yammer and I saw sort of all the mobility that you could have in this industry without needing, you know, a ton of education or you could be really self-taught, I kind of fell in love with it. And I also just am, have always been a nerd. And so I picked up some front-end technologies. I had a lot of really awesome mentors at Yammer who taught me some really great things about HTML CSS. I played around in CSS Zen Garden a whole bunch. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: Zen Garden was amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Still around, yeah, and I ended up just teaching myself how to write CSS and then eventually became really, really drawn to the uh, design side of front end implementation. I found more satisfaction in making something uh, functional and beautiful and usable than I did in in the back end code. So I gravitated more toward the front end, found where it could be valuable, and that ended up being in a design role.
0: How closely do you work with front end now? Now that you're actually designing, how closely do you work with front end developers?
1: Too closely (laughs) is my answer to that. No, I work with front end developers every single day. Actually, this is a funny, funny anecdote. I'm actually being kicked out of the code base right now. Uh, because, <laughs> because I was too
5: active. Are they revoking uh, your PR access? Yeah.
1: I well, it's actually for the benefit of the team. You know, I think when you have a designer who is willing to sort of go in and clean things up and add polish, it kind of people tend to learn to rely on you to do that instead of strengthening that muscle themselves. And so part of the exercise me and my engineering partner are going through right now is making sure that, you know, developers can ship with great polish and they don't need a designer to go in and clean it up and that they can they can get something as close to design spec as they can and a part of that process which i found really interesting is documenting you know what do i what's the checklist i go through for polish for, for a front-end dev, like if you're about to ship a feature, like what are the elements that I want to go through and look at, like are the, is the border radius right? Is the border color right? Is um, the, you know, are we using the right things from our style guide? And so a lot, of, a lot of my job lately has been to kind of aid the developers in growing in that way and being more of a resource to them than a crutch, I guess. And it's great, our, our engineers are so smart and they're so open to learning even from a designer. So yeah, it's been a a really good experience. It's hard because I love code, I love living in code, I love designing in the build. So it's a little difficult, but it's the best thing for the team. And so that's definitely kind of where we're headed.
0: What do you think are some important traits for a front-end developer to work with a designer? Mm -hmm. Humility?
1: Yeah, definitely humility. (laughs) Open to criticism, you know? I mean, I think the the reason that I think I'm so willing to go in and fix something up for a dev is because I feel like, you know, your guys' jobs are are hard enough and I'm like, you know, if I'm picky about something, it's my problem. But it's really a team effort. And so I think that in terms of it being sort of difficult, it's really hard to transfer the knowledge of like, you know, you kind of have to train your eye for pixel perfection. It's not something that you're born with and it's not something you develop unless you've been held to a high standard you're in, in your career as a developer. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of developers, you know, we're lucky we're front-end, we, we obviously have to deal with design on a regular basis, but a lot of developers just don't have that experience. And so developing that, you know, I like to call it, like, not being good or bad at something, but, like, really just needing to develop that muscle a little more and train your eye for certain things is really good. And one exercise I find extremely useful is pairing with designers. So I'm having my team now. That's a part of the process we're doing. We um, have a design and dev kickoff meeting where we talk through the design. We talk about how the data may impact the design and also, uh, you know, states that a user may end up in and that we need to account for in the design. And so bringing the dev and design Processes more together has been a really productive experience. I think yeah, we've noticed
4: a lot of that at Netflix too, where yep. we have got a lot of benefits of bringing the designers and engineers together really early because we've caught so many use cases that we never even dreamed of, you know, in that meeting. Because we're like, well, what about this air state? And then like it com- leads us down a whole nother path of yeah. different screens that we need, different designs, different flows, and that's really really good to have those people together right away. I think
0: it's even important not just. You know, we're talking about design and developers, but we work really closely with QA engineers, product managers. I like to have as many people in the room as possible kicking off because everyone comes at it from a different perspective. And so if you're trying to create a feature, someone will think of something that you had, you didn't even think about. They're like, yeah, like that error message. How, what are we going to handle there? And the designer or the engineer is like, oh, I never even thought of that. How are we gonna handle that? Yeah,
1: because unless you've, you know, if you're living in the products and you've run into that error state, you have that knowledge, right? And also in terms of like, you know, if you work the way where you just throw something over the fence, there's a lot of room for interpretation. When it comes to design, especially like interaction design, so it it has been really beneficial for our teams to come together, both do the design dev kickoff and then also do like a polished pairing session where we can really specifically point things out, like oh, did you notice this header is different than the headers on the other pages that are the same sort of information hierarchy? Maybe we can make this reusable and use it across all of our things, you know? So, um, so it's been it's been really awesome. There's definitely some growing pains, but. Um, I've found a lot of value in bringing the design and the devs together, designers and the devs together.
2: I think that's really important too, because I've noticed in some situations, it's just sometimes easier for both the, or they, they believe it's sometimes easier for the designer or the, the developer just to open up tickets or send an email with a long list of things. And yeah, that might be easier in the moment because then you avoid maybe taking a couple extra hours out of your day. I think that you are able to achieve so much more when you sit down and, and then you also have, you both have the understanding of the why behind it versus somebody just getting this email with right. this long list and steaming the whole time through yeah.
1: Yeah, you do, and and one thing that's been really productive for us is that like you get like I don't know you have like you build you build trust with each other as well, um, and and you again the developers can go a little further when they kind of know where you're coming from. The whole like sending a ticket, whatever. There's so much room for miscommunication there. Like even over HipChat, I've worked remotely a lot for a long time, and one thing that I've noticed is it's really hard to communicate an idea via something like a text or would it be collaborating you know, on an idea? Yeah, it would be <laughs> collaborating. Cheers. <laughs> I <I've, laughs> realized that like I'll, I will literally spend an hour trying to communicate how you know this drawer should slide out from the left to somebody versus if I just sat with them for 10 minutes and showed them exactly what I meant it would be so much more effective I found another tool that's really useful is sending them like a code pen of something that
0: that is very cool i've never had a designer send me a code pen that's yeah. pretty awesome
1: yeah and we'll even we'll code them up sometimes um and that's a good way because they can actually see how it works they can they can reuse their code it's a good way to work especially if you're remote and you don't want to go through and design every single state you know if we're we're pretty bandwidth um, constricted right now and so as we try to work as lean as and as and um as agile as possible and that allows us to do it
0: yeah i like that being really close and able to collaborate together
1: Hey. Cheers.
0: Another thing I've always really liked, too, you, you talked about um, even sending a code pen. At Netflix, we actually have prototypers who are their front end engineers that are working with the design team. They report into design and they're building prototypes ahead of time. They're able to accomplish some of those like transitions, that type of work ahead of time and really iron that out and then show us exactly what they're trying to achieve. And the designer is on board exactly what they've created and i found that to be really useful.
1: Well, Ryan, I have a story for you.
0: I'm excited.
1: (laughs) So that's actually what I do right now. I actually spun up a middleman app, which is really great for designers to use when they wanna prototype a static view but use things like partials and shared styles. And they have really good, like an, a really good asset pipeline. You know, I can deploy it using something like Roku um, or internal tools that we use. And it's really great for the devs because I'm sending them real code. I'm sending them HTML and CSS. It's not using real data, but it's really close in terms of the design spec. And so they get to cheat a little bit and they love it. And it's an app they can run locally. And I just push things up and I'm like, hey, pull down the latest. Um, you know, it's outside of our code base. So when I make changes, there's nothing that's going to really affect the end product. And it's been really, really great because basically a, a developer can click around and all the links work and so it's really awesome and i really recommend that anybody who's really interested in prototyping tools check out middleman and and, and use it a bit it's it's an awesome tool
0: great i don't think i've ever actually yeah. seen that one so I'm, i need to we check need that to check one. It out yeah sure. that's
1: pretty cool it's great yeah
0: I guess I'd also like to propose a question to the rest of the developers on uh, the panelists. For um, to be called engineers, Ryan. E- engineers, <laughs> developers. All right, for the rest of the engineers on the panel, how do you like to work with a designer? What makes your life easier as an engineer working with a designer?
4: Collaboration. <laughs>
3: Cheers. <laughs> we're, Ryan, were you trying
0: to say that? I was, no, I was, but
6: no, it sounds like I would rather work with Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's interesting because, well, definitely at Evernote, we don't require our designers to know how to code. Like some of them definitely do, but we don't like formally require it. And they'll use like prototyping apps like InVision or, Principles, or sketch, or, yeah, 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 exactly, to like kind of illustrate what they're trying to achieve. So I think it's like really cool how like there's more hybrid of this this prototyping.
1: It's um, hard for it's hard for a design manager too because you don't want people to waste so put so because prototyping exactly. can be. Pretty time intensive, and so when you're resource constrained, you don't want to spend like I really don't want my designers spending a million years in something like principle. But if it gives someone a prototype that they can just reuse HTML and CSS, that makes total sense, right? So it's a balance, like for sure. Whereas like sometimes I'd rather just send someone an example of how another app does it.
6: Exactly, and then like speaking as an engineer, <laughs> I'm just, I'm totally kidding <laughs> up, but
1: who collaborates with designers? Co- collaborates, yes,
0: yes. <laughs>
6: Yeah, speaking as an engineer, uh, work working with designers, I definitely like it when they like send me like a wireframe just so I can get started and laying out like kind of the foundation of what I'm supposed to build, and then slowly and iteratively like I can build it out. And then like, I think having like this iterative process where like I pair with them to like kind of go over the quirks and stuff. And then yeah, it's actually really helpful to talk to a designer and hear like their thought process of like how they go about designing something and Because a lot of designers are like, oh, yeah, actually, I pulled it from this other part of the app, like, see, and, like, try to make it consistent. And that, like, really helps me as an engineer. Like,
1: That also allows you to make it reusable, right? Exactly. Exactly.
7: I absolutely love that. I love that Julie's thinking about that already. Reusability. I'm like, yes, (laughs) that's great. For me, my most successful relationships with designers have always been designers to understand that there's no such thing as perfect design and perfect engineering. Like, it'll never happen.
1: Software is done like the grass is done growing, right? Like, it's never done
7: and that that was actually my uh one of my interview questions at netflix it was open-ended they're like how do you how do you unify these things and like i thought and i thought and i thought and i was like oh i'm like you can't and he's like yeah you can't like you can try but you can't and the best designers to me that that i've worked with are ones that understand that like you got to meet in the middle somewhere like i i know there's like that one pixel off but you can't always get it right and you kind of compromise right exactly.
1: like you got to make some compromises and There needs to be sort of a partnership there instead of like design doesn't work for dev and dev doesn't work for design. One thing I really try to foster in in the culture of my team is that sometimes we have to make hard decisions, but we do it for like what's best for the product basically. And if, you know, if spending, if our dev spending another three hours on pixel perfection is gonna take away from them shipping a different feature that actually has a really big impact for our users or makes their lives easier, I'm like, don't do it. Like fuck it, ship it, like I don't care.
4: Yeah, I think a, a good word to kind of that boils down to is trust. Like, we, you got to trust your designer. The designer's got to trust the engineers that we're going to give you the feedback. If this is going to take too long, uh, you know, you got to trust that that's what we're going to say. And we got to trust you that if you, you want this that perfect and you think it's really important, we got to trust that that's what's best for the product.
1: Yeah. And then sometimes for, for our team, what happens is we'll just be like, we, I think that we can get to that later. And we document it and we're like, you know, I think I'd really like to have like filtering functionality, but right now is that realistic? And would I rather have something that's more impactful now and just worry about that later? Absolutely. It's all about compromise. I think in in terms of product development,
0: that's another beauty. It's software. You can ship something afterwards, get it in front of the users and then slowly tweak Mm -hmm. it, which is great too.
2: I think too like that compromise is good if it comes sooner rather than later yeah um, like I've you know it happens a lot and I think it's just because everyone's busy and you know it sounds good on paper to have these conversations from the very beginning, but then you know you get busy in your own work and then you don't always have the conversation so the design gets hand off handed off to a dev and then at that point then that's when that compromise needs to happen and that's a little bit harder I think than having that relationship with your designer you know, when, when, the, when the concept is being um, conceptualized. Yeah, like in the
1: wireframe phase, yeah. I think. And I think that's a great thing to do because neither person puts too much effort into one place because I think, designers especially can come can come to that conversation pretty defensive if they feel like they've dumped months into this work and they're you're telling them they can't do it you know it's like a little frustrating and so you really just got to find the right balance and and check in early like the biggest thing for me as a designer and a design lead is to make sure that i'm getting buy-in as early as possible so we have a process where we actually even before wire friends we do user flows where i actually show you what data is going to show up on which view. so a developer can get started in that in that place and we can get buy-in from the whole group so that the pixel stuff they care less about right like they care more about like the whether the back-end service reflects the ux or whatever right so we get buy in there and then we go to wire friends so we get buy in there you know and then we go to pixel perfection and by then people are like we're all on the same page there's no surprises a developer has been able to scope their work and it seems reasonable i guess
0: derek touched on it a little bit but i also don't like having engineers say we can't do it because i to me i think everything is possible it's compromises of trying to yeah it might take more like three three weeks yeah uh, or three months would you rather
1: work on this other thing you know i mean like and then me and my engineering partner like we have a lot of conversations like that where it's like like, how much am I willing to about? Like, what do I think is the most impactful thing? And like, mm-hmm. I'd honestly rather sometimes instead of getting something to be like a beautiful experience, I'd rather have something functional and usable for all our users.
0: And get it out there soon. Right. Because I might say to you, it's like, Yeah, we can do that. It's gonna take three weeks just to do that yeah. small little feature and you're like, ah, that's not worth the three weeks. No. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, we can achieve anything. It's it is possible. Totally. I've definitely worked on teams where it's some of the engineers will be like, nah, we can't do that. Just because it's hard, and to me that's not the right answer is that's why
1: it's, uh, yeah that's why I love being technical because I can call them on their bullshit and be like actually that, is good. <laughs> <laughs> actually that is possible you're lying but um that's a that's a really good point because I think what it really comes down to is value you're adding to the product too mm-hmm. right like yeah we could spend three weeks on that but what is the value we're adding there versus the value in pursuing some other projects that we're working on
0: is it really gonna like impact your users that much to have that animation so seamless <laughs> no. maybe but maybe mm-hmm. not
1: so. but usually not right like and I think it depends on the maturity of your product too right like when you're in the early phases of your product sort of the way that we are now i think uh functionality and usability is the priority versus having something be modern looking or pretty you know like i could care less about that i want it to function i want people to know what's going on i want error states to render properly like and i think when you um are partnering with designers uh, you're collaborating with designers cheers cheers Really important for both the engineers and the designers to agree on on what the value add is of the projects.
0: I think that's super important right at the start of the project. What's the goal of the project? What's the hypothesis like? And then I I always bring that up. And sometimes on a project, is that really going to change the goal of the project? Absolutely. And it's going to cost us three extra weeks to get that feature or that little, you know, animation, whatever it is. And some everyone kind of looks around the room and they're like, no, it really doesn't change. We can still get this out the door. Right. And so at that point, I think it's more, yes, you could achieve that and get whatever the change is done, but it's not worth the time and it doesn't change your hypothesis that you were trying to do.
1: Right, totally. And we, we document that. I am one process, one piece of our process that I actually do before we even jump into user flows is writing product specs and listing out like what are the features and then also how are we gonna measure whether those are successful mm-hmm. um, that's really important to me because we can build all the things in the world but if we don't know whether or not they're having an impact for our users or that they're being successful it seems like kind of a waste of time to me i don't know
0: i think load time is another thing that i've definitely sometimes been hard it's a hard conversation with designers too is like how do we achieve it to be Fast, but also achieve the design that's necessary because I think that can be really difficult because totally they're battling each other at, at times. It's like it's always hard to get something really image heavy, very beautiful design, and sometimes that comes at a cost, and so it's a balance of trying to juggle that
1: my solution is no images icon fonts <laughs> but, also, but also performance <laughs> before you ship anything it should be fast like is in my opinion and if you can't make it fast like let's go back to the drawing board
0: well and there's always ways too like it could be that we progressively load that too is like yeah. does it lazy have to load be or
3: lazy do we paginate yeah. something yeah. do we yeah but the fact that you know that i think that's like one of my opinions about like what makes a good designer is the fact that knowing the constraints of the medium And, and that has been huge for me. So it doesn't matter like that whole extreme argument of like, oh, it has to be, you have to be a code designer to be a real designer in web or whatever. Like that, that argument's silly to me. It's like if you understand the constraints of the medium, Whatever tool you need, that's cool. But as long as you get that, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's like I, I'm
2: working on um, iOS stuff now, and I and I don't expect designers to be able to write Swift or whatever, you know, like. But it, they. Or Objective C. Yeah, yeah but I would hope that. that they know the I would hope that they know the patterns that that Apple has established or on Android that that
7: Google has established, so that they can create better designs. So I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So what's the reverse? We're talking about how we, I think we all agree that it's good for a designer to know something about coding, just understand like the limits of, like you said, the medium, what's the reverse for engineers? Like, what should we know about design?
1: I think you should know that designers aren't dumb. Like, I don't know. Like, I I feel like you should know that designers have the capacity to understand technical constraints. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that of any, any competent designer. And I would also just, you know, again, ask questions is my biggest thing with process because you know you may be thinking that you know this crazy side nav thing that we're doing is just for looks but there might actually be a user experience implication there as to why we want to implement something a specific way so the best thing the best developers that i've been partners with have asked questions instead of just assuming that we're just being ridiculous designers or whatever you know what i mean so i think i think that's really important i also think it's important to know that like it takes time to develop good design and good design patterns. And I think that typically, or not typically, I mean, I think that developers can be pretty impatient with designers um, and being that's like, just true. get it done, because it's binary, <laughs> just get it done, you know? And, and, and it actually, like, most of design work is thinking through something. <laughs> when you can be a part of that thinking, that's the other thing, like, you can ask a designer, and like, hey, can we jump in a room and like whiteboard through this user experience so that I know that we're on the same page? That's a really good tool. Yeah, I mean, understanding that it takes time, but also understanding that it's a partnership and that just as, you know, designers need to compromise, so should devs. I mean, it's, again, I guess that's the definition of partnership, so I don't have to say that too often, but uh, collaborating with designers. (laughs) Cheers. Good conversation, good communication in terms of like, hey, I could give you this feature, but it would take me two extra weeks. What's more important to you? Ask the designer that. I think that's a really good tool in terms of scoping, scoping a project too.
7: Do you ever struggle with fighting, well, I know design takes time, you're thinking about like how the user's going to work it, but do you ever struggle with your own personal opinion versus the design aesthetic of, say, the company? Like Netflix has design aesthetic, Apple has design aesthetic, but you're like, actually, this is going to be better like this way, but it doesn't fit with the way all of Apple products work, things like
1: that. I see my job as being a representative and an advocate for the user. So if my user is not the average consumer of Apple, then I'm absolutely gonna deviate from from whatever the design pattern is. For example, I work on developer tools. So my design's not gonna be like super sexy, like iOS style, and because it doesn't make sense for the platform that we're using. You know, I primarily work on web, and I, I design for the medium or the, the, the place that my project will live. So I have no problem deviating from design patterns like that. I, I, I generally like to start with design patterns that have been established because I think that there's some value there and I love when other people do work for me. That's great. I get to start a little earlier, you know what I mean? It's like it's great to start on. It's a good foundation. Sort of the way that people use things like Bootstrap and, and find it It's a good foundation. It's a good, it's a good place to start, but it's not always gonna be the right thing for your users and so my job is to figure out what is the right thing for my users and to do the best thing for them and their interest. Not necessarily because Marcom does it a certain way.
0: Do you expect engineers to be able to jump into Photoshop, Illustrator, Sketch?
1: No, absolutely not. I think it's great if you can, um, you know, if you want to make a proposal and you want to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this this way, what do you think? Sketch is a great tool for that. Again, if you have uh, an awesome design team like mine, I'm hiring (laughs) by the way. (laughs) You can do that really easily in like some sort of prototyping tool, but I do not expect that of my devs. I don't expect you to slice Photoshop files, I expect my team to deliver assets, I expect them to deliver specs at what pixel ratios um, an asset should be. I totally expect that of my team. I think that your place should be in, and a developer's job should be to implement a feature, but also to make that feature modular and accessible and um, reusable. Right now, what I'm working on is delivering a style guide to my team. I don't think they should ever have to worry about the pixel width of a fucking button. Like, I don't (laughs) think they should. That should never be a developer's concern. Um, It should be standardized, it should be documented, and it should be shareable. And so that's sort of my opinion. It totally depends on the team and the manager. Like, that's the way I manage. It's not the way that other people manage. Again, like, my, like, sort of, I don't, just because I'm technical, I don't demand that a developer be, you know, have gone to art school or like, you know, like, I think, like, you know, I think Photoshop and Illustrator, especially, I think they're becoming sort of antiquated tools in terms of the web. I think we're really maturing in the web, and I don't expect, um, anybody to have to, to have to jump into that. If, if I ask you to jump into anything, it's gonna be sketch to to annotate a screenshot and tell me what's wrong with it. And I really like that feedback process a lot um, with my developers, they've gotten really good at it. They've also gotten really good at uh, componentizing my design, so I'll send them a screenshot and they'll actually like, I, I, lo- I love uh, my teammates, but Strom, especially Strom and Devon are great at this. They'll actually go in and highlight with different colors, like the boxes which can become reusable React components. Um, and I'm like, yes, that makes absolute sense. Do that because we'll reuse this in in several other places and in, in, in the product. And so again, that collaboration is really important. Cheers. Cheers. Important for a team, but you you can only get that if you're talking. If you're talking and you're on the same page, and that and you're and you're using the same, you speak the same language because that's really what it's about. It's not about using the same tools. I could give a shit if anyone knows Sketch. I do not care. I don't care for designers either. Design in whatever feels makes you feel comfortable. What I care about is being able to speak the same language. Yeah, I
2: think that's really important and I think that's the reason that like going back to what we were talking about earlier is is why it's nice when designers know a little bit of dev and it's not because it's not so that they can like send us a prototype that we can then reuse.
1: Even though that's great.
2: That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but um, <laughs> it's more about just being able to speak the same language, and it's super helpful. Well, and I think it, it's worthwhile to
5: challenge our listeners that are that front-end developers to go learn a bit of designy type things, right? Like, there's like a great book that I read called Design for Hackers. That's really great that you can just go through and it like teaches, like, okay, this is when you use a serif font. This is when you use a sans-serif font. This is what accessible colors mean, right? Like. Some of those like basics of design are really helpful as a front-end developer to kind of have a grasp on. Yeah, I, I completely
0: agree.
1: There's also hackdesign.org that I've contributed to as well, and they send you like a weekly like, hey, here's a thing about designing for mobile, or here's a thing for, and it's like really low-key. It's not like you're having to go and read an entire book about it, but it's just familiarizing yourself with the with. With the language of design,
0: I would be interested to hear what is your thoughts on web fonts.
5: <laughs>
0: this is a minefield. Yeah, by the way. this is like it might open the door a lot, but I'd be interested to your thoughts on web fonts. Um, How important are they?
1: Uh, I think deprecation is really important. So web fonts are great, but if they don't load, what happens? I think that's the important thing. I think that things should always degrade gracefully. So that's my main priority. Again, I think typography is beautiful, but I, I always try to prioritize usability over visual pleasure, essentially. Sounds like way too, like, sus for this one. (laughs) 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 But I think that that's important. You know, web fonts are getting to the point where they're actually pretty performant now. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember back in the day when, like, you would still get, like, the major flash on your screen. One thing that, as designers, I think we need to get a little more familiar with, and as Dev, is that is that not everyone has the connection speed and the rate that we have, or the bandwidth that we have. I spent some time in East Africa uh, where the connections are actually like really unreliable, and so uh, they they don't they can't download those massive fucking font files, and <laughs> no. so that shouldn't stop them from from shipping a pull request, right? right? Um, so again comes down to compromise, it comes down to usability, but it also comes down to considering people who, you know, aren't, don't live in San Francisco and maybe don't have the strongest internet connections and can't really download massive packages over the web. So
0: sounds like you're just, you'd like them, but it's also okay to have something as like a backup because you'd it's rather so someone important. read the content than not get it at it's all. It's so
1: important, especially when we talk about accessibility, because there are some people who just will straight up turn CSS off. Right. And I think, I think that's really important. I think browsers have done a great job of having like an agent browser style sheet that makes is really important. But I think on the dev side, that means that we need to structure our HTML to be the correct information hierarchy. And I think designers should play a role in that. I think that designers should pay more attention to accessibility and to, into performance.
0: I love that you're thinking through all that already. Yeah.
1: I mean, (laughs) at at, at GitHub, one of the things is like, we, we, we didn't, so I was GitHub three years ago, but one of the rules was, you don't ship something until it's performing well. And that's for everyone, not just for people in San Francisco. That's like people in.
0: Someone on a 2G network should yeah. still be able to see. They should be able to it. load yeah. a web page. Yep.
1: And again, I learned CSS in IE6, and so I know all about graceful degradation, and I understand its importance, and I think design should operate in the same way. Have you set up like performance budget kind of stuff? Yeah. So I actually have a really good friend named Yesenia who gives. Um, she actually tours and gives talks about uh, designing for performance. Uh, Laura, Laura Hogan also yeah. gives a lot of good talks about yeah. that. And as a designer and as a, as a design lead, like I find it, it's it's important that we consider those things when we're designing. And I've always been because I came from the coding side. I've always been all about like not image heavy. Like I've always been about optimizing for speed. So um, luckily, I have that in my in my background but yeah I think that there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of great resources for that kind of thing right now and you know like I have even on my prototype I have fucking a page speed loaded in my, you know, in my, in my console and like, I'm looking at that to see exactly like, what does it take to load an icon font? How do we make it a little more usable? And and that's what I love about, hopefully we'll get some time to talk about this, but CSS modules being a really great technology for that because you're only loading the CSS, you're going to render on in a specific component, which I think is tremendous for performance.
0: Well, yeah, you kind of mentioned too, that you'd done some work with CSS and, I mean let's get on that topic of how much do you think about that even now when you're designing is like reusability
1: um a lot actually so uh, the product I'm working on now, we, we, we use CSS modules. So there's this concept of compositions, which are basically like reusable elements. I know yeah. they're, they're great. I can go in and contribute like a composition. They call them composes or whatever in, um, in, in CSS modules. It can be reused throughout the code base. The place that I really struggle with that is so many developers tend to write selectors that are really page specific. And so it's, it's, it's really hard to strike a balance between the page specific styles or reusable Elements And I would love to hear from some of you guys about your experience with that and, and how you manage module modularity, if, if you manage <laughs> modularity in terms of that. I mean, sometimes you just have to ship something and get it out. And like, I understand that. I think there's a lot of value in using something like CSS modules because you can literally write, you can change something in one place and have it populate everywhere instead of, you know, and I, and I, I hear the argument. A lot of devs make this argument for like, oh, well we should just be passing in inline styles via prop, but one, those are so hard to debug, especially for designers. And they're super hard to modify for designers. So if you want designers contributing to your code, definitely don't do that. Just write CSS. That's okay. CSS is great. We love it and use things like composes.
0: It's also nice too, is like, you can keep things like very modular with obviously uh, with CSS modules, but it gets really specific to what you're trying to achieve. So if it's like a header, you can have just a little module that styles the header and you can call it when you need it. You can remove it when you don't need it. So it does your code very clean and it's it's very useful. So, I mean, I'm all for it. I have nothing against that. I'm all
5: about writing CSS to throw it away. I tell yeah. to everyone yeah. that'll listen to me <laughs> so that you can write CSS. And as soon as you're done with it, because a lot of CSS goes out of scope eventually, right? right. And so, any way that you can identify this is dead CSS and I want it to go away, I think that is like king, or at least to me. And so that's why I really like CSS modules because you can say, well, this was never imported, so we don't need it anymore. You so. can find
1: it. And there are, are actually some tools that will uh, lint through your your repository or your uh, stack and, and find uh, selectors that are no longer being used, and you can just rip them out. There's no better. F- I feel similarly about design. I love deleting things. Yeah. I just oh, feel so, so good. good in your soul. I'm like, oh, less complicated? Sounds great.
0: I've actually even written CLI tools to remove modules that aren't being used anymore. I mean, they'll still be in Git, so if you really ever wanna bring them back for some reason, you can, but at that point, it's just bloating your code base for no reason, get rid of them. Like Brian said, write for, just getting rid of CSS. Like if you don't need it anymore, you have a module that you can just drop and it's not impacting the code.
7: My one complaint against modularity, sorry to go against everybody here is- No, that's good. We want to hear it, Jeff. Screw <laughs> you, process. Brian dissent
1: Descent is important, I will say.
7: Oh, well, descent with a purpose, yeah. Brian. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the only uh, problem with modularity, and I've seen this at every single place I've ever worked at in all engineering it only works if there's someone paying attention to everything like i designed a checkbox August designed a checkbox
1: no that's true and, then, and then we
7: have two and then brian comes in and says which one do i use and derek's like use this one because this is one i wrote and then yeah and then what about right? a style guide though yeah if they if you follow it though someone has to enforce that t-
1: yeah because that's the problem you get when you have a, like a big dev team right Is like everyone's like oh well i don't i don't know if we have this yet so i'll just write it which is the problem. But that's where composes come in really great, because you may apply the compose to a page specific style, but you can just go to your like, we have like a utilities folder or whatever and you just go to your composes and you're like, oh, in forms, we actually have the input style, so I'm just going to reuse this. Whereas instead of having to ask somebody, you just have sort of that base set of styles. And if something deviates from that, then you just write that into the CSS module. But you're right, you do have to, there is no maintainability element to that. And if people aren't talking to each other, like you'll end up writing the same exact thing over and over and over again. Yeah.
4: We run into the, the yeah buts a lot at Netflix too. Like we'll, we'll know that there's a checkbox but we'll be like yeah but I need that a checkbox that's a yeah. little bit different and mm-hmm. what do we do? Do we extend this one? Do we write another one? And then we get these really high specificity checkboxes or we have two ones that kind of start diverging. We're spending
1: then... too much time on checkboxes.
4: <laughs> How much time have we spent on checkboxes?
1: Oh, that, that sounds weird. insane.
4: I don't want to say. We have spent an insane amount of time on checkboxes. Check I postulate that composability and
7: modularity actually goes against the core of engineering cuz like our instinct is to build something. It's so, like a checkbox, I can build it better. And so like being modular takes a lot of discipline. It takes someone probably like coming back just in force. And
1: if you build it better, you have to contribute it back.
7: I,
0: I like what you're saying, Jim, because I'm all for building something better. But why can't you take the existing one that's there, add your case or however you want to do mm-hmm. it, build on top of it, and then you make it better. It applies to everything.
1: The danger, because then you have to go through your code base and test everywhere that's being exactly, used. Because yeah. if you don't, unit test, man. Unit, can, unit test. Unit <laughs> test. CSS so, so selectors are actually super hard to unit test, it turns out. But but that's the thing is, you actually have to go through and see how your changes impact other parts of the code. But yeah, I think having like better reviews amongst developers can help sort of mitigate that yeah. risk too. Like if someone, if you know someone's touched something before, you could CC them on your PR and be like, hey, like, can you take a look i want to make sure that i didn't break anything with these changes
0: yeah no i think that's clear too is but there again the
2: larger the team gets it's harder
0: it's harder it definitely is
2: i i think that so i've made this comment in the past about our visual framework at linkedin and got some offhanded microsoft what what? (laughs) (laughs) we don't we never pick on you for being working at microsoft i think what we have works works pretty well and it's it's Julie, it's kind of what you explained, but it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a library of visual elements that you're, you're able to pick from. And a lot of it is, you know, a, the challenge, I think for developers that we're all challenged with is if something doesn't fit in the design that we're given, if so, for instance, if a designer gives us something that doesn't fit in that already predetermined, um, you know, framework, then there's a conversation that we need to have. And then at that point it needs to, you know, be iterated on and, That's when it gets a little bit hard, but I Uh, think like you should always go towards something that's already there if at all possible. And as it's this extreme use case that cannot be you know, obviously you have to have a framework that's big enough that has enough things in it for you to be able to utilize what you're doing. Yeah.
1: But I I think that designers should share some responsibility there. I don't think it's just on developers to be like, Oh, this doesn't like Because I think that there is a compromise to be made there too, because if there's already an element that exists that's really close to what they have and like there's not a big usability impact in terms of changing it, then they should give that up, designers. Like I would be like, sit down <laughs> like that's that's not a really good use of again it's all like comes down to like how are we using our time as a team like as a joint team and like is that a good use of our time to develop an entirely new component just to make this change That's maybe just like pixel border wait there. like you know like there's all these like things i mean there's always the exception obviously yeah.
2: i think it's a culture thing too and and so i i think you know, I, I think we have that culture which is nice. So like as a developer if I get something that isn't built, then you know, I'm gonna go to our horizontal visual framework team and and you know, propose something that needs to be built for, for this specific case that I'm working on. And then at that point it goes back to the horizontal design team, and then they go back to the designer I'm working with. So it's kind of like this, um, uh, you know, circle of thing. But it also helps keep accountability um, where it needs to be. And it, you know, it's it's not like going behind people's back and like, oh, you can't do this because you know. The, the, yeah. But but it's uh, it's just important because I think it just kind of helps keep people on the same team, same page, and then conversations can happen, and conversations start happening about like, okay, why does this need to be different in this case? And
1: this is why I'm very against organizational like breakdown. Like I think that I think that designers should be really heavily embedded within teams. Um, I'm I'm a really big proponent of feature teams, so, you know, you get a dev, you get a designer, you get a PM, whatever, ship a feature, you disband, you go to the next thing, and, you know, GitHub didn't do, when I was at GitHub, I'm sure a few of you know, um, they didn't do a lot of things great, but one thing that we did great as a team was that we really did the feature team thing really well, where we had one designer, one developer, or one or two developers, depending on, you know, like, what the feature entailed, we'd ship a feature, and then we'd move on to the next thing, and I think really having a designer there embedded that you can just go to instead of having to make a request to the frameworks team who then makes a request to the frameworks design team. And at that point is the design team even really understanding the impact.
0: You should talk and collaborate in the same room. Right?
1: Cheers.
4: I have a completely unrelated question and that is from an engineering standpoint, what is up with the color gray? How many colors gray can we have? Because (laughs) I can sit down with a designer and they'll be like, that's two percent too black. You gotta fix that blows well, my we... mind that they can see those tiny little variations in gray like instantly would you it's say 50 39. shades <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are probably 50 <laughs> shades. Well, I
4: wrote comments in our in, in our repository about 50 shades of gray because you're like naming really.
1: variables you're like 50 49 48 <laughs> The thing that I find really important, actually, when it comes to, like, things like variables is, like, naming them semantically instead of, like, this is gray darker, this is gray darker darker darker, this is gray darkest, this is, gray darkest. This is the gray, the darkest that ever was, you know, I mean, I think it's a very slippery slope in terms of reusability there. Again, when you're collaborating.
7: Cheers. Uh, CR, what, what episode were we arguing for, like, 20 minutes on classes versus IDs?
0: Oh man, uh, our, our CSS. Guys. Let's hear Julie's uh, thoughts on that. I would love to hear her thoughts on
1: Never that. Never an ID.
6: <laughs> Woo-hoo!
1: Never an ID. All right, you need uh, to tell Brian
0: this.
5: Uh, Brian.
1: Yeah.
5: You can sell an ID. If you have an you can. You shouldn't. You can, yeah. It's an ethical question, really. It's an
1: ethical question.
6: Wait, really quick, we have like an po- old podcast about this. So, But, but no, you should still so finish still this argument. It. No, you should still do it. I just want people to, one, people to go to the, the old to one, too. Too, of you.
5: <laughs> Two, it, it enforces uniqueness, and sometimes it's a useful tool. And so I think it's, it's dumb to what, say. What
1: elements are we calling IDs on, just to be super clear? What elements are we calling IDs on? Yeah, like what kind of elements,
4: yeah. Yeah, all the time. Which
1: one, which kind (laughs) of element? Like are you calling it on a paragraph, are you calling it on a header, are you calling it on a section? I think
4: Brian only uses divs. Checkboxes.
5: It would be like a a container, like this is the ID of our, or like the ID of like our header, right? And so our header element has the ID and then we, we, we go off.
1: I mean, are you writing JavaScript that calls that ID? Is that why? You could. You could, I know, I, like yeah, you get the you same could, functionality with class, class selectors, yeah. Like you can get page-specific class selectors, like that's another cool thing about middleware. Like she's
5: agreeing with me, but it's it's not enforced unique, right? If you try and put two IDs on a page, you to have but problems. But that's the
1: problem, though, is that enforcing unique is, is a really bad problem, especially when you share so many so much code right. across you're a product. Really,
5: you're not going to have your header twice on a page, which,
1: but you may have it on two different pages. So which of those?
5: Yeah, they both have the same header ID, right? I, no. I don't but
1: know. I think, the, I think the thing we were arguing
2: before was the specificity that, that, and and actually using CSS, using IDs in CSS, right? Yeah. That was the part that you... Yeah.
5: Yeah. Avoid the cascade. Like, I think most people you say... You can yeah. avoid yeah. the avoid cascade, cascade with
1: selectors, though.
5: Yeah, but I think in, in, in all cases, you avoid the cascade, right?
1: Yeah, always.
5: So yeah. You all, we, we all agree you avoid the cascade. Right. So why can't you use IDs? <laughs> because you're, if you're avoiding the cascade, then it's it's all considered equal.
1: I don't like it's that not. there's like one ring to rule them all. That's my problem with IDs, is that it's a little too dangerous. You should use them
0: for JavaScript and only JavaScript.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can see like calling an element with an ID via JavaScript. I can see that part. But I cannot see at this point in time, I will not concede This argument over class selectors. I think class selectors do fine, and I think the performance is actually better, right?
6: Yeah, and actually, even for JavaScript, I like to have JS dash classes, and then like you just use those. But I wanted to tell viewers because they can't see like the your your guys' eyes are like so intense right now. It's like it's all uh, I wish people could see. It's like it it was so intense. Like God, they're like so
1: passionate
6: passionate about this.
0: I've broken a bottle, ready to fight. Other than obviously don't use IDs, any last advice before we get into (laughs) pics that you would love to share? (laughs) Or actually like even for like junior designers, like
6: I just came from a career fair who like a lot of uh, people are looking for internships for product design and like they all would probably appreciate advice.
1: Yeah, totally. So in terms of design, design advice for junior designers, I would say find what you're passionate about, go really deep on that until then be a generalist touch a million different things in terms of design, touch visual design, touch UX, Uh, touch front-end development, understand the constraints, come to understand the constraints of front-end development because developers will love you And that's I've I've basically built a career off of that, so I feel like you can do that. Also, you don't need to go to art school. You don't need to read medium blog posts. All you need to do is really like dive into the work that you're provided, or you also need to just like work with a developer for a while, build a product, um, ship something, find something that you you really want to build and build it and ship it and get experience there. Also, uh, demand good titles. Uh, with your jobs. I will say, I'm, I'm starting to realize that young when I was younger in my career, I was doing the work of a junior developer or junior designer and I wasn't getting that title. Like they would always like be like creative technologist or something like that. And that really hurts you later on in your career. So I would say really push, push yourself and demand and always ask for more from your managers and from uh, your organization. And also just, like, teach yourself stuff. Like, go on the web, this thing called the internet, you know? Um, <laughs> read some books also. Uh, number one thing um, that I would actually say for, for uh, people who want to be web designers is to study Dan Cederholm's book, uh, CSS3, for web designers because it does a really good job of translating design language into code and recreating elements in code. And I think, I think that's a part of building the bridge between design and dev.
0: Well, that is actually some pretty good advice, even for an engineer starting, I would think. that's like Some of that definitely works for both. As we wrap up today's episode, we like to share picks of things that we like or have found interesting to share. Let's go around the table and share picks for today's episode. Brian, you wanna start it off? I just have one pick this week. My pick is the ACLU,
5: and I don't wanna get super political, but I just wanna say that there is a line somewhere for everyone, right? And so whenever that line gets crossed, you hope someone like the ACLU is going to step in for you.
1: And they have stepped in a lot over the last couple days.
5: Yeah, they've helped a lot of really good people. So I would encourage our listeners to maybe think about contributing. Great. Stacy, what do you have?
3: So I have two picks. Uh, one of them is Vision. I think mentioned it earlier in the show. Just a, a cool tool to, tool to kind of share um, interactive prototyping kind of things between your dev and design team. Um, I've had good luck with that with designers. So that's one of my picks. And then my other pick is Ghostly International, which is uh, its a music label, um, which I enjoy. But I picked it for the design purposes as well, because they do a lot of really cool stuff, being purveyors of good design. And so, yeah, you should check them out. A lot of my favorite artists are on them.
2: Very cool. So I was gonna pick Envision, too, actually, and it's oh. it's a tool I use every day. So it's like I kind of hate it, but I also kind of really love the fact that you can collaborate really well with it. and hey. if you're not, yes. yes. Have no more beer. That's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to drink. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, if you're if you're not if you're not able to sit down with a designer or a developer as a designer, it's a really good way because you can leave comments on things and and see the flow, and it's really cool. My other pick is, I don't normally pick Google products, but um, I'm really excited to see Google Voice being uh,
5: No, I know, you can boo me. I'm booing myself right now
2: inside. So, um, but I'm really excited to see that Google Voice is getting revamped and finally updated. I thought that they had forgotten about that and I think it's a really cool product, so I'm excited to check it out. Jam, what do you have for us?
7: I just want to point out, Ghostly International, I did not know Tyco was on that record, but I love Tyco. it's like my top. is oh, yeah. amazing. Right yeah. there, just put it on a plane, I just code it all day. My first pick is follows Brian's pick. I know we're not political on this podcast, so we try to appeal to everybody, but he's right. There's a line and you just, you can't cross it. So my pick is also the ACLU, donate money. We make a lot of money in tech and there's no doubt you know someone who's an immigrant Or someone's green card, or something. Just like do something. I mean, come on! Like, look
0: how many immigrants we have that are working in this. Well,
7: yeah. (laughs) I'm an
0: immigrant on working in Silicon Valley, so yes.
7: (laughs) And speaking of Canadians, my second pick, as I wanted to learn more about the history of my Canadian brothers, such as Ryan Burgess here. I'm watching Frontier on Netflix, which is a story of uh, the founding of of Ryan Burgess. Yes, totally true. Yeah. It's a great show about the early days of Canada. So, I actually don't know that much Canadian history, so that's pretty cool. It's actually an autobiography. Of-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I better watch this just to make sure. You were around for the early days of Canada. Obviously. <laughs> Augustus, what do you have? Cool. I have two. Uh, one is
6: standards.usa.gov, which, so apparently our government has a style guide and they have reusable UI components and. Uh, Shout tr- out US. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So I thought that was like super cool, um, specifically for this talk. Um, the other one is this Medium article along with the plugin called uh, CSS Sketch, and the article is called Pro- Programmers Design Differently. And this guy basically made a CSS plugin for Sketch three. Just FYI, it's breaking in Sketch four, and he's not responding to.
1: They update uh, a version like every other day. It's yeah, like really exactly.
6: Yeah, <laughs> but it's like apparently, like you can upload a SAS, LS or CSS style sheet, and then Sketch will just kind of like. Automatically.
1: They do that anyway. Like you can okay. also always right click and copy CSS, but the CSS is like pretty. It's like it, it 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 thinks it's an absolute. Like you're coding in like 1940 or 1944, <laughs> <laughs> 1994, and like it's absolutely positioned. So you just have to be careful. But like there's definitely like already that natively, which is kind of nice. If you need oh, awesome. if you need pixel perfection type things.
4: Ryan, what do you have? Uh, so my first pick is a web app called Smash Run. Um, If you do any kind of running, it's a really, really nice data visualization app. Um, So it imports all the data I have from RunKeeper um, and just lays it out really nicely and lets me track uh, my progress over time. And it's really well uh, done. It looks really good. Um, My second one is Rollup.js. And it's a new JavaScript bundler. And it's a little bit more opinionated, so it only works with ES2015 modules. Um, so it's, I think it's been you know, Webpack has been the king of the hill for a very long time, and people are, haven't challenged that. This seems like the a, a really good um, new one to come on to actually kind of challenge that space. So great, okay. Julie, what do you have for us? I
1: have a lot of picks. Okay, that's awesome. Start with the nerdy stuff. So tools, middleman app, so badass, CSS modules, and BEM the naming the naming convention, TV shows, baskets with Zach Galifianakis. It's a little sad, a little funny. It's great. Book, Long Division by Casey Lemon. Um He's amazing, and it's a really good book to read right now. I also had the ACLU. I donated a big donation this morning, and if anyone wants to match me, I would love you forever. Comic books. I'm a really big comic book nerd, and right now in our political climate, um, I'm reading something called East of West, and it's really, really, really amazing. And I think if you need some space and um, just like some literature to dive into, I think that's definitely a good place to be. Albums, Kehlani just released Sweet Sexy Savage. Uh, She is homegrown Oakland girl. Everyone should support her. She is an advocate uh, for mental health and for the Bay Area and for immigrants rights. So um, definitely check her out. And also I'm hiring, please come work with me, hiring designers or I'm looking for a senior UX designer who is deeply technical and has passion for developer tools. So if you know anybody, please um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at NRRDCOR e that's three r's or julie underscore horvath at apple.com please let me know if you have a friend that uh sounds like someone i'm looking for
0: awesome that was a good load of picks actually yeah. i'm impressed Ooh. so i only have two picks and i feel like following that is yeah that's what hard. a loser uh, <laughs> <laughs> so one because we're talking about design and actually i've started to draw a lot more or get back into drawing adobe illustrator i still really love it it's a great program it's probably not something I would use so much for web design but for my drawings I've definitely loved getting back into it another one that I came across the other day is a homebrew I guess script that uh, called brew cask I've been having issues with my new macbook unfortunately and it, it crashed and so I'm on a temporary machine right now and I've switched machines three different times in the last month and found it really difficult. I don't want to run Time Machine. I've set up brand new machines. And so having to install all the apps you need is really difficult. And so this app BrewCask is a way to actually write scripts like shell scripts that just start installing all the things that you want and need. So you can just decide what kind of apps that you run on Mac OS X and it, you run the script and it will just install them all. So. Definitely worth checking out. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Julie uh, for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. You did mention your Twitter handle, but where can people get in touch with you?
1: Twitter's a good place for that. My email's pretty public. It's just jn. Horvath at gmail.com or my Apple one is great too, julie underscore Horvath at apple.com. I'm pretty uh, responsive there and any of those places, so chalk me down. Happy to chat. Again, would love to find a designer like who wants to be my kinfolk. And um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Since so many of us have chosen the ACLU as a pick today, I think it'd be a great idea for us to release a brand new t-shirt design. All the cells that we get from the t-shirts we will donate to the aclu so for this week we will be launching a brand new t-shirt to get your very own front end happy hour t-shirt go to frontendhappyhour.com aclu the t-shirts are extremely comfortable and available in both men's and women's sizes so make sure to get yours before they all run out thank you all for listening to today's episode like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at frontendhh.com